One thing I think people don't quite respect when it comes to the convection model of storm theory, uh, that is meteorology's traditional theory on the physics of storms. One thing I, I think people don't get about that is the degree to which they arrived at that model, at that theory, with a lot of regret. It was really out of desperation because, you know, even now when we look at the the evidence associated with atmospheric flow and storms, to say that, it, you know, we can make all these relatively generalistic observations, there's parts of it that just simply don't make sense. Why is it that storms, or at least they don't jump out at you and make sense, for example, why is it that storms go in a pattern? A day or, a day or so you'll get some big storms, other few days you get sunshine and it can kind of go in back and forth patterns between that now of course now we can all explain that with respect to such things as the jet stream and about other uh, flows and movement of, of low pressure systems and that is our kind of explanation now by the way which is kind of a snapshot it's not really a it's not really a full understanding of the of the of the cause and effect and that's still the problem by the way a lack of a full understanding of, of the cause and effect going on with storms now, what people don't get, though, is the, the degree to which they arrived at that model back in, like, the 1880s, and with a, a general feeling that they had failed. And you know what? They, they actually did fail. The convection model of storm theory, which is really just a few analogies, that's all it is, analogies about water having some kind of uh, energetic properties, of various types, I won't even go into the details on that. And and they just plugged it in and they kind of used whatever words seemed to make the most conversationally successful. In other words, if you repeat it and other people repeat it, it becomes popular and that's what you have. And the, so that's how the convection model of storm theory formed. It's, it formed out of a need, a human need uh, to um, to provide at least some explanation. Now we know that um, without an understanding of water, like the one that I introduced, it's impossible to really work out the physics of what's going on with H2O, because it's just so completely outside the realm of what anyone could imagine that H2O would actually have the spinning capability that I identified in the atmosphere, this ability to, and to do it in such large quantity and to do it naturally off of wind shear. And, um, you know, that's so um, outside the realm of what anybody would have anticipated, even for myself at one time, you know, um, that see if I'm uh, I'm actually thinking about a certain device right now. Outside the realm of what uh, anybody expected, that it's, you know, there we can reasonably say that they could not have solved what's going on in the atmosphere in terms of atmospheric flow and storms because they were missing what is probably the most important part. The, you know, as I described, that the functional nature of the atmosphere is that of plumbing and that the... Um, the lead pipe of the plumbing is actually a form of water that spins up on wind shear boundaries, and that's only able to do that because our um, understanding of a, of a more accurate understanding of how hydrogen bonds actually are solvents of their own polarity, and that when you reduce their connectedness, you actually create some opportunity for some structural capabilities, which is what happens 
We, I refer to it as non-Newtonian moist air to kind of relate that to this notion of non-Newtonian fluid, which has similar, be, uh, um, and an analogous behavior. And I'll let you go ahead and look into that. Uh, again, uh, non-Newtonian fluids, non-Newtonian moist air. I'll let you work out the dynamics on that. I think you'll find it really interesting. Um, but yeah, they could not have been expected, uh, meteorologists expected to figure it out. And without that understanding, it, it just simply will never make sense, right? And so what happens to a paradigm when it's in a situation where for over a hundred years, they're, um, they, they have to carry on this oral tradition about something that's scientific, or at least was when it was, you know, was in the mainstream of science and a, a big part of debate and discussion, right? That now, well, what's happened to it now? Well, that's an interesting question, you know, and you could ask yourself that question, regardless of whether you're in meteorology or, or, or not, or just a, a, a student in the, interested in the history of science. You could look into that question. You could ask yourselves, well, what happens to um, a paradigm when this happens? And I think this is what you will find, and I think you'll find the um, find this 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 explanation very edifying in terms of understanding why we know this theory is wrong. Okay, <laughs> I know it sounds like how am I going to get around back around to that again? Um, but but. You know, here it is. Um, they, out of desperation, they came up with a few analogies that related to water, and um, these became the convection model of storm theory. Um, they never really addressed. Uh, what am I trying to say here? I think I kind of lost the thread on that, and I do want to pick it up again because it was just it was just going right somewhere where I wanted to go. Well, I, I kind of lost my train of thought there, and I, I think it has to do with the fact that there was just such a shift of, um, of realization there that here are these, here they have this theory that, um, that everyone has to believe. It, it's got no, no empirical support to it. Still to this day, it doesn't, by the way. Um, parts of it are blatant nonsense, such as describing what the boiling point of water is. We, I won't get into that now. Other parts of it, too, are imaginary, such as boundary layers having structural properties. And other parts are imaginary in, in terms of um, H2O having um, latent heat associated with phase changes, which is absurd since they're, the phase changes they're talking about involve going from gas to liquid, which is impossible since H2O is never a gas in Earth's atmosphere. Contrary to what many people choose to believe, um, I won't go into that now either. Luckily, happily on my part, because I'm so sick of that stupid subject, and I think all the people who are on the other side of it are just playing dumb and just being dumb. That's all there is to it. There's nothing else to it. Nevertheless, uh, I don't want to... Um, get angry about that right now. Um, and so what emerges from this Q 
can, can best be thought of as scripture. That's the best analogy for it that I can think of. It's, it's scripture. It, it serves the same function as scripture and it, it basically creates a system of belief and it puts, and, and, and since it's been unchallenged for hundreds of years, it evolves to the point to where no one who's in the field really understands it or even cares about it that much or the subject altogether. And that's what you largely have in meteorology. They don't, most meteorologists don't know about the subject. I've talked to a few of them online. They don't know about the subject. They don't really care. And of course, the subject I'm talking about is the physics of storms and atmospheric flow. They, I, mostly I suspect, they, as I did at one time, think that it was just simply already explained, you know. And um, now, and they also didn't notice, as I didn't, that it was so incredibly vague that it was meaningless. That is one of the characteristics of their theory, is that it's incredibly vague. I just repeated a few sentences ago, and that's pretty much the epitome of, of, their, of their model. They don't go in, other than, the, and other than that, the resulting text, the actual um, explanation of their theory of storms is put into textbooks and other books and is kind of referenced as, as, a, as a way to, if anyone asks, about our theory on storms and atmospheric flow, we'll point them towards this. And it has these three basic rules about convection and stuff. And of course, not ever all of them were trained the same, by the way, so that's another part of the confusion. It's, there's so much democracy in what you want to think amongst meteorologists that there's no way you can ever get a hold on them, which is part of their part of the trick, you know, part of their way of evading the fact that they're, that they're not really doing empirical science when it comes to the physics of um, storms and atmospheric flow. So anyways, you know, I figured out water and with that in hand, I was able to figure out the, the uh, tubing that is the structure that provides the means by which our atmosphere is able to achieve. And this is important now, because this is kind of what I want people to be aware of. It, understanding water allows us, allows us to understand how there can be focus of flow right because now going what now you can have these tubes and the tubes focus the flow and it um help helps us understand and, and which without this without something focusing on the flow most of what we see in terms of storms and atmospheric flow this streaming wouldn't be possible so kind of think of that you can't really even get um, streaming in an atmosphere that's just gaseous. Doesn't matter what types of gases, any mixture of them, because there there won't be anything that that will forcefully allow you to create the structure you need for flow. Without structure, you can't have flow. Okay, so. There is structure in the atmosphere and it's emerging in the only thing that's not a gas up there, and that's water. 
and the way it's emerging is because the surface tension properties of H2O are much greater than we generally assume. If the situational factors are, are such that you can increase its surface dramatically, as happens in wind shear, on wind shear boundaries, moist dry wind shear boundaries, especially during rates of when there's a lot of flow going on, and this substance spins up, and it's mostly polymers, polymers of H2O, anywhere from, I don't know, 50 to 10 molecules long, maybe longer, maybe mostly shorter. We don't, it doesn't, we don't know. Spinning very rapidly, knocking against each other, sometimes cutting each other in half, but nevertheless continuing to spin so rapidly they cannot make hydrogen bonds. And so, that's what, what I mean when I say that the spinning in the um, in the context of the plasma that's, that encircles the actual flow of, of the tornado, that's why I refer to that as being like the, the cornstarch in the non-Newtonian moist air. So hope you can understand the analogy there between non-Newtonian fluid and non-Newtonian moist air, believe it or not, they're both the same concept. Both of them involve H2O molecules surface being suddenly increased. That's what that ha that's what's going on. Or being increased and now the one on cornstarch is very, by the way, is very slight because the H2O molecules reform bonds with each other very quickly and, and in so doing they reduce each other's polarity you know that being they they go back to um they go back to dissolving it so what's happening in anything that's non-newtonian is you're overcoming this ability of h2o to dissolve its own polarity by creating a little bit of space between them that's all and as long as there's high energy conditions associated with the flow there will be collisions along that internal boundary between the, the, the flowing drier air and the moist air that unwraps it, which is the, um, which is the plasma layer. As long as they're, and what essentially is happening is the, the uh, wind shear itself is conserved within the tube. Does that make sense? The wind shear itself is conserved within the tubes. We can think of it as being that way. And so now the air on the inside of the tube has a slick surface that it can go very fast. And occasionally it'll bump into one of these things on the, on the side and import, and impart more energy into it and keep this plasma being what it does, doing what it does, which is to encircle this flow and kind of squeeze it, squeeze it in a little bit, actually. And this ability is extremely abundant because the, the resources that allow it to exist are moist, dry wind shear, and we, the very top of the troposphere is an extremely rich environment for that. That being, when I say that, I'm talking about a boundary layer between a relatively flat and long boundary between moist air and above it, dry air. That's what I call a wind shear boundary. It has a very distinct difference between the moisture content above that boundary and below it. Below it, it's always going to be more moist.
Now, if you add energy to that equation, you also create a situation where you have collisions along that boundary, and those collisions cause those things, the, the micro drop, the nano droplets therein to start to spin. And that's when they start to elongate to form the increase in surface tension that makes it non Newtonian. So, um, now you, as you can imagine, there's just no way um, if you don't already know something about the HT, if you don't, if you don't know about H2O and about the fact that there's this hidden capability inside, there's just no way you're going to imagine it happening in the atmosphere to thereby explain the tubular structure that we actually do see, by the way. Um, you know, hurricanes and tornadoes are direct evidence of that, and there's no shortage of other evidence of this kind of um, swirling um, streaming that we refer to as a vortice. Now, you kind of keep in mind now, without there being this plasma that spins up, a vortice just simply isn't possible. You can't have, you can't have something, a vortice is something that does maintain a boundary. It maintains it within that tube. And there's no way that can exist if all of the elements therein are gaseous. It's only if the elements in one part of it can conspire to create kind of a structure therein, or what we can just simply refer to as a plasma, right? Because that's essentially what a plasma is. A plasma is a, a form of gas that takes on some of the properties of, of a solid, it, <clears throat> in this case, to create um, this great big vacuum tube that actually shoots into, believe it or not, well, let me put it this way, all the vortices initiate from the jet stream along the, along the wind shear boundary at the top of the troposphere, and they start to grow down along wind shear boundaries, and sometimes come off, you know, sometimes creates, resulting in storms being created, sometimes going all the way to ground, resulting in uh, things like tornadoes. Yeah, that's, you know, that is the way the, the atmosphere works. It works based on this, this, um, this tubular piping that emerges on wind shear boundaries between places of relatively higher pressure and lower pressure, creating a tube that shoots into the jet stream, keeps the jet stream going, and that jet stream is what continues to initiate these vortices, spinning off of it and doing the same thing over and over again. So within this whole model, we have an explanation for something that the previous model completely failed on, and that was why the jet stream continues to maintain its momentum. See, the jet stream doesn't really have any structure itself other, other than the occasional vortice that, that kind of flows into it, right? Which does degree provide it some kind of a, um, a structure but um, it's the vortices themselves that are structural, but it's the fact that they initiate from the jet stream, grow down into to lower pressure, I mean higher pressure below, and shoot back up into the jet stream that allows the jet stream to continue to maintain its momentum. So there's a whole system going on here, and it's mostly it has to do with the way water is, because you know, water is the element, water is the lead the lead of the of the plumbing without that you wouldn't have the atmosphere we do have